0: Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: Welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being with me here today. It is Monday, June the 15th. Hope you all could somehow enjoy that incredibly wet weekend that we had. Looks like we should be getting some sunshine and warmer temperatures here later in the week. So I'm excited about that because, quite frankly, I am sick of the rain. Very much sick of the rain. On today's show, I'm going to be joined by Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. We'll be talking in just a little bit, of course, as we see the ongoing protests and demonstrations in regards to racial inequality. There are specific events that continue to keep that conversation front and center, while the situation in Atlanta on Friday night where Rashad Brooks fell asleep at the wheel and after failing a roadside sobriety test was being arrested. Well, during that arrest, of course, he broke away, stole one of the officer's tasers before eventually being shot at three times as he was running away and was later pronounced dead hospitals, so I'm thinking that maybe there was a better way to have handled that situation and Kyla Lee and I will get into that a little bit here soon, talk about the use of force by police, but to begin today's show, well it is World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. It was developed and launched on June 15, 2006 by the International Network for the Prevention of Elder Abuse, which means today is the 15th year of its recognition. It was also uh, registered by the UN back in 2011, so to help mark the day the government has provided almost 1.9 million dollars to help raise awareness of senior abuse which will help create educational programs to protect seniors from physical emotional and financial abuse to talk more about this i am joined on the line now by pamela mcdonald director of education with the bc securities commission pamela thank you so much for taking the time pleasure and i'm also joined by isabel mckenzie bc senior advocate thanks for doing this isabel appreciate it
0: my pleasure jeff
1: All right, Isabel, I will start with you. We've talked about this in the past, but just how prevalent are instances of senior abuse and how challenging is it to track those events here in British Columbia?
0: Well, it is very challenging to track them, uh, Jeff. As you know, we report from various sources what we think are reported cases of abuse each year. And we know by the numbers we're reporting that we're not capturing at all. We recently did a survey of British Columbians to ask uh, people, have you ever witnessed financial abuse? And about one in five uh, people in B.C. say that they have witnessed financial abuse in persons over the age of 65. So we know that it is an issue out there.
1: Now, one of the goals, of course, of the BC Securities Commission is to enable people to achieve their financial goals. And obviously, we're talking about, uh, you know, financial abuse being one uh, key part of of uh, potential abuse that seniors do face. So I just wanted to ask, why was this something that was important for the BCSC to team up with the Office of the Senior Advocate today on? Why was this something that was so important to the BC Securities Commission here, Pamela?
2: Well, we know that older adults or seniors can often be a group of people that are most targeted uh, by fraudsters or people with scams. Uh, These are also people who... may have more money uh, than others. They may also be relying on their money. For example, fixed income in order to uh, meet their quality of life. And so it's really important for us to make sure, to do the best that we can to ensure that seniors in British Columbia know how to recognize the signs of investment fraud, uh, to be able to reject them, and of course report any possible fraud to us at the BC Security Commission. Because people, if, if people are relying on fixed income right now, and they're worried that they might be losing some of it, and they see the volatile markets, they may be more susceptible to saying yes to a potential fraudulent scheme.
1: Now, with that in mind, Isabel, in January, I believe it was, you and I actually talked about how you were hoping to take some steps to improve the system for reporting senior abuse here in, in 2020. So how, how is that working? Uh, have you seen uh, an improvement here at all over the por- course of the six months or what work has been done to improve the system to make it easier to report instances of senior abuse?
0: Well, we're still in the information gathering phase of our report, Jeff. So we've surveyed British Columbians to try and understand their understanding of, uh, elder abuse, their perception of its, um, uh, of how prolific it is in the province. And it's confirmed what we thought, which is it is significantly underreported officially. So now we're looking at where is it. Being reported officially, and how can we make that more understandable to the public? And we expect to be releasing our report in the fall. Um, as you can appreciate, a lot of timelines have shifted over the last uh, few months as as COVID-19 has uh, reprioritized things. But COVID-19 has also reprioritized the importance of this topic for the reasons that Pamela has articulated. Uh, Right now many people are going to be looking at what's happening, the turmoil in the markets, they're going to be worried about their income, Uh, they're going to be more isolated than normal and many are turning to uh, online presence who hadn't been there in the past and, and aren't aware of all the protections that they need to take in order to ensure that they don't fall victim to fraud and financial abuse.
1: Now, uh, as part of today, you guys are launching a a new video that is kind of going to help, I guess, people understand what exactly are the signs and symptoms of of senior abuse. What can they look out for in order to know and identify the fact that, you know, someone is being taken advantage of, and then, you know, how do you go about reporting that? So um, I just wanted to ask, I guess, you know, is this something that people, when they're seeing instances of senior abuse are perhaps just unaware they don't realize that it is happening i don't know who wants to take this question exactly but uh like is there a particular thing that you can say to people when when they're you know dealing with a loved one they're seeing that something may be off but they don't really realize that it's an instance of abuse is this video going to help maybe identify some of those signs and symptoms
2: yeah sure i'll take that one um yeah Absolutely. I think that there are signs that family members or friends uh, should watch out for uh, that might signal that Uh, A senior or their loved one uh, is being the target of of investment fraud. So, you know, you might notice that there's a new person in their life and that they're depending on that person for advice and perhaps financial advice. Um, They may suddenly not be spending money or going out anymore, or they might be You know, really further isolating themselves and ignoring family members or avoiding friends, and this might be because of a uh, you know, maybe a feeling uh, of shame or fear because of an investment that they've made that has gone wrong. Uh, another thing you might see is that they're failing to take care of themselves or or keep up their homes. And so if, if you see some of these things, it could be uh, a signal that they're pointing back to some kind of, of fraud because investment scams are really fueled by shame and they breed in silence. So, you know, if you have any inkling that this might be happening, the most important thing that you can do is open up a conversation. Talk to your family and talk to your friends and help them report investment fraud.
1: Now, uh, Isabel, I'll kind of follow that up with you. I mean, we talked about, uh, you know, how it is kind of a difficult uh, reporting system that's in place right now. A lot of people don't know necessarily how to go about reporting it. What do you think is is also another problem is the fact that maybe people are, as, as Pamela was mentioning, almost ashamed that, you know, they were taken advantage of and don't want to go about reporting it? Is that also a significant part of this problem?
0: It is, and I think that the other big part of the problem is that of the people who witness financial abuse, three quarters of them say it was a family member. And this is what is very, very difficult to deal with, Jeff, which is the dependence that some seniors have on their family members and the unfortunate reality that some mem- members, uh, family members take advantage of that. And it's things like, uh, you know, a, a son or a daughter or a grandchild moves into the house and suddenly you start seeing signs that um, the title to the house is turned over to um, the either the child or the grandchild, the senior starts paying for a number of things on behalf of their uh, loved one, and and it just it, it can can spiral out of control. Sometimes it is th- it is outright fraud and abuse, and and the kind of um, situations that Pamela is talking about. Sometimes it's based on a sense of entitlement, um, and that it, it it doesn't really start out with a, with the worst of intentions, but it can quickly spiral out of control, and that's what's very difficult to deal with. Mostly. Uh, It's difficult when the the financial abuser is somebody who is also supporting that senior to live independently in the community.
1: Well, I'm definitely not done with this conversation here on World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, but I do have to take a quick break here. So let's uh, take a little bit of a pause. I'm going to be joined by Acumen Law's Kyla Lee here after the break. But later on in the hour, Senior Advocate Isabel McKenzie and Pamela McDonald with the BC Securities Commission are once again going to join me. So stick around, and the Jeff Andrea Show will return with Kyla Lee. And again, we'll be back with uh, Isabel McKenzie and Pamela McDonald a little bit later here in the hour. (laughs)
0: The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas.
1: Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for joining me here on June fifteenth. Today is, of course, a Monday, and that means it's time for me to be joined by Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how you doing here today?
3: I'm not bad. Thanks. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm doing all right. not bad for a Monday. Just ready for some uh, the rain to go away and the sun to start coming out, which uh, apparently is going to happen later in the week. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that. Now, <laughs> now, of course, a lot of stuff happening here in, in the world right now. And, uh, you know, the protests when it comes to racial inequality are seemingly the front and center story. And that's been the case now for about three weeks. And, uh, you know, as these protests go on, uh, they they seem to maybe lose a little bit of steam, like not a lot, just a tiny little bit, and then all of a sudden, boom, another incident seems to happen. Um, And that was the case here this past week. On Friday, there was an incident in Atlanta. Rayshard Brooks fell asleep at the wheel after falling, uh, uh, sorry, fell asleep at the wheel while he was in a Wendy's drive-thru. He failed the sobriety test and then uh, was being arrested. While he was being arrested, he broke away, stole the officer's taser before eventually being shot three times as he was running away later pronounced dead in hospital so kyla i wanted to start with this story because it's just something i mean we see the the protests that are happening it seems like everyone should be aware of what is going on in the world and you know this guy is running away with a non-lethal weapon a taser with his back turned to the officers and they shot at him Can, can you believe first of all that that happened not only that it happened at all but it happened during a time where this is exactly why people are protesting
3: I mean, can I believe it? Yes. Am I absolutely appalled that something like this went on when police officers should be on heightened awareness about the way that they treat individuals of color they're dealing with? Yes.
1: So what do you think is really at at, uh, the root of the issue here? I know like systemic racism, of course, but when we're looking at just the way that the officer handled this situation, is this a matter of de-escalation training? Do you think this is a matter of just not knowing how to properly respond when someone is, you know, fighting back in this type of a situation? Like this is just something that doesn't make sense to me as to why someone would pull out their gun at all in this type of a situation.
3: It doesn't make sense to me either. And I think that there was a real failure of training on the part of the police officer. You never shoot your weapon at somebody who's running away, who doesn't pose an active threat to your life. Um, And so for the officers to have done that and to have discharged their firearm at somebody who was running away, it was absolutely unnecessary, especially because they'd already got his ID. They already knew who he was. They had his car. So, you know, it's not like he wasn't going to at some point have to be in contact with police again. And they knew where to find him. It wasn't a situation that required them to use the weapon. And just because he had a taser doesn't mean that they were justified in using lethal force because the amount of force was not proportionate to the risk that he presented at that point in time.
1: So, I mean, have you seen the whole dash cam video of the entire incident as it took place?
3: It's incredibly difficult to watch, but yes.
1: Um, now, what was your thoughts, I guess, just on the initial traffic stop? I mean, when I watched the whole video, everything seemed to be going pretty much normal until, until of course, this guy, uh, Rayshard Brooks, eventually broke away.
3: I mean, you see these situations of people who are, you know, passed out in, in drive throughs or in the parking lots of fast food restaurants very commonly. Um, it's, it's not an unusual fact scenario. Um, and it is unusual for them to turn violent. And it does appear to be that, it, you know, it was the point in time at which this person, likely out of fear for his own life when dealing with the police officers in that situation, um, when he made the decision to, to take off. And that prompted this overwhelmingly violent response from the police
1: yeah this is just something that i can't believe uh, you know just the timing of it more than anything because of course we're all well aware of these being the reasons that protests are happening these are the types of situations that people are speaking out against you know not to be shooting first and asking questions later that's not how the process should be going But just the fact that it is happening in the midst of these protests, and then of course the the reaction that it sparked, uh, it just it baffles my mind that uh, you know police in this particular instance and in many other instances that we've seen over the last three weeks just don't seem to be aware of what is going on, and and I can't imagine that that's their excuse, but that's clearly what's taking place, and it's just shocking to watch. And you know this is what we're watching in, in the states, and it's not like Canada is by any means immune from this problem. We're well aware of instances of of these types of scenarios happening in Canada. We saw it actually not very long ago about an instance that happened up in Northern Alberta at a casino where uh, Chief Alan Adam was arrested, and uh, you know, there was a bit of a controversy around the way that uh, police handled that situation. Now, I guess I'll just start by getting, again, I'll, I'll make sure that you have in fact seen the whole the whole video. It's about 12 minutes worth of dash cam footage that has eventually been put out. You know, the 30 second snippet came out and then eventually the whole thing was released. Have you watched that whole piece of video? I have. And, and what is your thoughts on this one? Because this one, it seemed a little bit more gray to me in the sense that, okay, if you watch the, just the 30 seconds when it first came out, it seemed uh, incredibly violent just the way that uh, the Chief Adam was tackled, it seemingly for no reason. Once you saw the whole video, I mean, it was a little bit more controversial in the sense that, you know, this chief here in this case was a little bit more combative, I guess, than, than maybe people had first thought. Um, just what is your thoughts on the use of force in this? I, I still think police went a little bit overboard in this scenario as well.
3: I also believe that the police went overboard in the scenario, but I think you have to draw a distinction between the two police officers dealing with Chief Alan Adam, because the first police officer that was on scene and dealing with him when he first exited the vehicle, um, who got him back in the vehicle, who managed to, to some extent, de-escalate the situation, was, appeared to be following his training and appeared to be dealing with the, the threat and the you know angry individual who was challenging him to a fight in an appropriate and measured way. It was when the second officer, officer runs in from off camera, appearing to have just recently arrived and does a flying punch into Chief Adams' face while the first officer is about to gain control over him. And that punch was absolutely beyond the scope of what was necessary in the circumstances, particularly with two officers present. There were a lot of different uses of force that would have been appropriate in that circumstance, but that were much lower in the scale and level of force than what was used here.
1: Yeah, so I guess, again, in this particular case, I mean, this the, the initial traffic stops seemed to be uh, handled fairly appropriately. And then and then once, uh, you know, sort of an unexpected action took place, things kind of got out of hand. Is that also, that's pretty much how I understand your, your breakdown right there?
3: Yes, absolutely. I, what troubled me about this incident was that before the dash cam footage was, publicly available. Um, the police had indicated that he had been detained um, and was resisting ar- arrest and that he'd been detained for a expired registration, I believe it was, on the vehicle. But when you watch the full video, you can see that he gets out, as a crew cab truck, and he gets out of the rear driver's side seat, not the driver's seat. And you can even see that there's a driver remaining in the driver's seat who ultimately later gets out of the vehicle. Um, so what troubled me was that rather than address the use of force and rather than provide the footage and let people decide for themselves and you know, cooperate with an investigation that's going to be taking place now. The police provided a false basis for this arrest. You can't arrest a passenger for something that the driver has done.
1: Hmm. Okay, um, so I guess in this particular, when you, when you say that you can't arrest a passenger for something the driver has done, I mean, even if in this case, you know, he, was, he did get out of the vehicle, he did get somewhat combative, or not combative, but even just, um, you know, uh, not necessarily following orders directly, I mean, wh- how should that situation be handled? If you can't actually ar- arrest him for the traffic stop itself, I guess, uh, was there any point in there where you saw anything that would have been uh, an arrest-worthy pattern of behavior?
3: If he's interfering with the investigation of the driver for the traffic offense, then he could be arrested for obstruction. What typically happens when police are following their training is that they give the individual an obstruction warning. If you don't stop, I'm going to arrest you for obstruction. You are not detained. You're free to leave. Please go away. They give them the opportunity to leave. They try and de-escalate it in a nonviolent way. Um, And that didn't quite play out the way it should have here. And especially not once that second officer arrived on scene. But I don't take too much credit criticism with the actions of the first officer because it's clear that he was still attempting to engage in as many non-violent de-escalation tactics as as he could.
1: Do you think that there's a problem when we look at some of these types of instances, we look at these videos and you know, there. you talk about how the the first officer seemed to handle things pretty well until the second officer came in from, uh, you know, just Got on the scene and then immediately kind of tackled Chief Adam in this case. Do you think when we're talking about any of these kinds of scenarios, where we're looking at a group of police officers that very often, um, you know, they're, they're looked at as as a whole and maybe not as individuals? Like even when you look at well, the situation in Minneapolis with with George Floyd, it was all targeting the one officer who was actually on his neck, and then you know eventually people started to to really uh, accuse all four officers of being a part of the situation, but it didn't seem to be something that. It, sometimes they're they're grouped together more so when when there are officers that are you know maybe taking the proper steps but they're still viewed as, as being a part of the officers who are taking these these bad actions i guess is, i'm trying to figure out how to even ask a question here is it often that uh, you know we're seeing parties lumped together as one instead of being treated as individuals
3: that's incredibly common to see them lumped together as one. And it's something that you know police investiga- investigatory bodies and the courts have to sort out when, if and when people are charged or if there are investigations into the conduct of the police. Um, and there can be, even with police officers, a type of mob mentality where if one officer is doing something, the other officers go along with it because they feel like they're obligated to do so to try and present this united front. Um, there's also a problem that arises for a lot of police officers in this situation where if they see something that's wrong that's happening they don't want to call it out in the moment or they don't want to do anything about it because they're concerned if it's a superior officer or if it gets relayed to a superior officer that that could be viewed as a a type of insubordination um, and they could be disciplined for that so they are in a difficult position when they see individuals um, amongst themselves who are acting in a way that's that's violent towards people of color, that's unnecessary force and excessive force, because they do have to walk a fine line between being able to say something and do something and being powerless to stop it.
1: Well, Kyla, as always, thank you so much for taking the time and talking to me about these are very important issues, particularly in this particular time. So thank you so much for coming on and speaking about them. I, th- I th- really thank you for your commentary, and I look forward to doing it again next week. Thanks for having me. Of course. And of course, uh, just before I let you go, I'm going to let everyone know that the Accutones is out with a new song, and I thought it would be appropriate for us to to go to break while playing a little bit of it. So, Kyla, I just wanted to let you know before you actually take off that uh, you're making your Radio NL debut, I think, right here, right now. Okay? Oh, Thank you.
2: I caught this virus, it's meaner than heck This coughing and wheezing, I guess I'm a wreck If you won't wait for me, I'll say okay If I can survive, it'll be a fine day if A hankering's what you've got and that's true Then I'll stick around, be waiting for you
1: Yeah, there you go. There's Kyla Lee with the Accutones, I Caught the Virus. You can hear that whole song on YouTube if you want. Of course, she caught COVID-19 um, early on when everything kind of started. As she was making her way back from Ohio. Uh, so, uh, yeah, had to write a little song about it. So if you're interested in hearing the whole piece, log on to the YouTube. Check out the Accutones, I Caught the Virus. All right, well, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with more on Elder Abuse Awareness Day here today. So stick around, and the Jeff Andrea Show continues after this. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show. Thanks for being with me here on Monday. Now, earlier in the show, of course, I was speaking with Pamela McDonald, Director of Education with the BC Securities Commission, and BC Senior Advocate Isabel McKenzie, as today marks World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. Now, I'm going to go back and revisit that conversation. Isabel, I wanted to ask you how important it is for people to report anything that may qualify as abuse here. I am sure that there are people who maybe feel like they're being taken advantage of, but perhaps are unsure if their situation qualifies as abuse or they don't want to get someone in trouble because the person in question may be a family member or, or something along those lines, someone who is their care provider. How important do you think it is to report these instances, even if you lean the way that a particular incident maybe perhaps doesn't qualify as abuse?
0: I think so, Jeff. And I think what we have to do is destigmatize it. So, if we're able to get to a point where, if in doubt, report. And then, if you're the family member who gets a call that somebody concerned, you might that there might be abuse going on in your mom or dad's life, um, that you actually welcome that that rather than be defensive and say, well, what are you saying, that the reaction is that you're reassured to know that the system is out there making sure that not just your mom or dad is safe but everybody's mom and dad are safe and if that means they have to ask you a few questions, uh, if there's no abuse happening you have nothing to worry about. And I think that, that if we look at, you know, where do we need to go? Uh, in order to address this. We need to get to a point where people are comfortable reporting it and if it's happening appropriately, we will see cases reported where there isn't abuse. Um, and we're going to have to say that's okay. We'll investigate and no harm, no foul. Uh, there's nothing happening here. But the system is there to reassure everybody. You know,
2: we want to people to understand or recognize the warning signs and the morning signs of investment fraud to, of course, reject them and say no, but report them to us and report anything that they even suspect might be a scam or potential investment fraud. Um, you know, as Isabel said, it might turn out to be nothing, but it might turn out to be something. And the sooner we get information about these potential scams, the sooner that we can take action on it and perhaps investigate and, you know, track down uh, these, these scam artists yeah,
1: and Pamela, I just wanted to follow up there on that specifically, just talking about the better use of reporting. If you were to have a better database and have a better sense of really what the situation looks like in this province, I, I kind of have a good idea of how that would really help the BC Senior Advocates Office, but how would that help with uh, BCSC here? How would How would you guys be able to do more with better data?
2: Well, information is is, uh, is is key, it's extremely important and the more information you have about uh, potential scams, the more you can do to reach out and stop them and bring, you know, the fraudsters uh, to task and again, you know, if people are losing money, the more information we have, the sooner we get that information, the sooner that we might be able to get money back to investors and, and that's the key. But there's, you know, as we talked about earlier, so often a a stigma about talking about, um, you know, if you've made a bad investment, about talking about it with your family and certainly talking about it uh, with a regulator. But yes, the more data you have, uh, the more information you have to, to tackle potential fraud.
1: Now, we're talking about this issue here today on World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. Of course, uh, you know, always good to have these days, these occasions to be able to raise awareness, to raise the profile of uh, whatever we're talking about. And today, of course, it is elder abuse, something that there is some stigma behind, something that people don't necessarily want to talk about or are afraid to talk about because they don't want to be embarrassed. Uh, but what else can we do? I mean, why is this something that needs to be talked about here today, but also more more frequently uh, on a more annual um, timeline, right? We need to talk about this more, I think, throughout the year to make sure that we break down that stigma. So what what's happening here today, I guess, across the province in order to recognize today? You don't have to get into specifics. I know there's events happening all over the province, but what else uh, besides doing interviews like this is happening today to, to raise awareness, to raise the profile of elder abuse and the fact that it is, of course, happening? And what else can we do throughout the course of the year? I don't know who wants to take this. I'll start with you, Isabel.
0: Well, as you have pointed out there um, across the province, not so much events, In the <laughs> last year there were events, there's a lot of uh, uh, Zooming about uh, uh, in terms of activity out there around uh, raising awareness, so it is people like the Seniors Abuse and Information Line, it is people like uh, Seniors First BC, um, the Community Response Networks certainly the designated agency, the public guardian and trustee, the BC Securities Commission, our office, we are all uh, trying to use the uh, focus of the um, World Elder Abuse Day as uh, a way of of not just raising the awareness today and this week, but um, sustaining it, And because the more we make people aware of it, the more people will be um, uh, have their eyes and ears uh, open to see and hear what's going, out around, uh, what's going on out there. And um, if we can get people reporting to us, then we can start to deal with reducing the amount of elder abuse that we're seeing out there and investment fraud, as Pamela has been talking about.
1: Perfect. And do you have anything to add, Pamela?
0: Yes,
2: I mean, um, just exactly what Isabella said, and, you know, from our perspective, uh, we are reaching out to other organizations around the uh, province that support seniors. We're providing them, of course, with the video that um, the Office of the Seniors Advocate and the BCSC produced together. Uh, we are um, out on social media um, throughout uh, the course of, of this week, and for the rest of is drawing awareness uh, to the issue. We developed a hashtag uh, and so we've provided, you know, tweets to these organizations and so what we're trying to do is just provide a lot of people with a lot of information that they can share publicly and that in itself will, we hope, have some um, organic interest and increase in awareness of, you know, such an important issue and particularly, you know, during a time right now where uh, when people, you know, elders can be more isolated than they, than they typically are. And so it's just more important than ever right now that we do what we can to protect, protect our seniors from uh, financial abuse.
1: Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to come on and talk about the subject here uh, on a day, of course, that marks it, World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. I think it's important to have these types of days in order to make sure we do talk about these kinds of subjects, reduce the stigma, and make people more aware of the fact that these kinds of scenarios are are happening really, really close to home. Um, Isabel, I did want to ask one more question, because you mentioned that the report is coming out on the fall as we look to improve the reporting system. Do you have any more specific timeline as to when that might be coming out? I know COVID-19 has really thrown a wrench things and 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 also just to follow up on that what do people do in the meantime if if they do see an instance of elder abuse how do they go about reporting that here today
0: well, we're hoping to get the report out late September, early October. So uh, hopefully that um, that we are going to be able to meet that timeline. And I think that the important thing for people to remember is uh, to contact the BC Securities Commission if they have concerns about investment fraud. That they contact the designated agency, which would be the Health Authority, if they are concerned about uh, neglect uh, or self-neglect as a way of abuse. That they contact, obviously, the police departments, their local police departments, if they think there is any form of criminal or physical abuse, and that they can um, contact through the 211 number, which is now province-wide, they can uh, contact Seniors First BC and uh, be able to go through that process as well. There's the public guardian and trustee if they think that it's not criminal but somebody's finances are not being managed appropriately. So I think, you know, what we're working on is a more single point of contact that we can refer people to and we hope that 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 will be one of the things coming out of our report in the fall but for now those are the numbers that they need to think about
1: perfect definitely good information to have in the meantime and then of course we'll hopefully be able to make things easier here uh, later on here in uh, 2020 but thank you guys so much for doing this really appreciate it isabel really appreciate you taking the time pamela thank you guys so much for coming on and uh, hopefully we can chat again in the future
0: Okay,
1: thank you. That was Pamela McDonald, Director of Education with the BC Securities Commission, and Isabel McKenzie, BC Senior Advocate. Well, it's about time for me to wrap things up here, so I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, and I'll be back here tomorrow at noon.